Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferrans. Lights, camera, Union Action, a new contract for IATSE producers. Meanwhile, music supervisors at Netflix file for a union election. And today, on the show, the latest from the Heat and Frost Insulators and the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. Welcome to the Wednesday, October 26th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least six platforms and growing. They are Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. Two guests on the show today, Mr. Pete Almini will be joining us, longtime supporter of America's Workforce. He is the executive director of the International Association of Heat and Frost Insulators and Allied Workers, their Labor Management Trust website, Mechanical Insulators, LMCT.com. Pete always comes prepared to the show. He knows more about mechanical insulation than just about anybody in the country. That's my opinion, because every time we have it on the show, he's so articulate on the issues. Today, we're going to talk about a little-known tax deduction. It's called the Commercial Buildings Energy Efficiency Tax Deduction 179D that Pete found in the IRS code. And primarily the conversation is going to deal with the fact that there is an opportunity for building owners to use this and upgrade their facility so they can save on energy. (laughs) Doesn't that make sense? Apparently, um, it's been in effect. How about this? It's been in effect since January of 2006. And it's now... A permanent program apparently enacted as part of the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2021, which was signed into law the year before. So a building owner can actually save on taxes and additionally save on energy costs and consumption. Makes a whole lot of sense. So uh, Pete is going to be our first guest later in the show. We're going to go down to uh, Knoxville, Tennessee, and join Wes Trottershod. Wes is president of Teamsters Local 519. He's been a uh, Teamster for 34 years, third generation, worked for UPS, and 25 years as a business agent. He is now president of that union. The website is uh, Teamsters 519. Dot com, And they pretty much uh, cover Eastern Tennessee. I love their website. You got to check it out. Powered by the working class. Doesn't that sound good? Teamsters 519. Powered by the working class. There is an issue on the ballot in, what is it, 13 days away from the election? It's called Amendment 1. And it essentially puts the working class on the chopping block. What they want to do. Now, Tennessee, keep in mind, is a right-to-work state. It's been a right-to-work state for a long time. What they want to do is enshrine right-to-work in the state constitution. Yeah. What does that mean? 
well, pretty much you can't get rid of it. But we'll uh, we'll run it all down with Wes. I mean, they put him right out front saying, hey, we got to educate our members. And uh, the Teamsters, other unions are involved in this as well. And he did a really, really good op-ed in one of the papers down there. He writes, what is the only organization in the state that is compelled by law to serve non-members who do not contribute to it financially? Here's the hint. It's not the Chamber of Commerce. It's labor unions. And that's what right to work is all about. You get to be a member of the union and you don't have to pay the dues. On average, workers make $11,058 less per year in states with laws like Amendment 1. That comes out to $5.28 an hour less. In right to work states, the average poverty level is 11.2% higher. In right-to-work states, there are almost 12%, 11.9, more people without health care. How do you live without health care today? Right-to-work states spend 31.6% less on public schools. How about safety? Workplace deaths in right-to-work states are 56.5% higher. Wes told me yesterday, we had a good conversation to talk about this. He said uh, when the Teamsters went to the Capitol, Tennessee Capitol, to fight the legislation, they didn't want this on the ballot. So here's what they did. The union sent Republican members of the union to talk to GOP lawmakers. And guess what? Those elected officials had no idea what was going on, and thought right-to-work laws included a system in which a non-member had to pay their fair share. (laughs) They don't even know what right-to-work has done to the state. What this is, it's misinformation. And you know where it's coming from? The billionaires and zillionaires and giant corporations. I mentioned the uh, Chamber of Commerce. And uh, Wes pointed out how unions protect our brothers and sisters. Here's a couple examples. Lee Townsend. Lee's a Maryville truck driver in Tennessee working in the building trades. He was fired unjustly. Well, his company forced the matter to arbitration with representation from the union. An arbitrator reinstated him to his position with full back pay. How about Johnny Moore? Johnny Moore is a material handler, Chattanooga, Tennessee, who was fired unjustly. Well, his company forced the matter to arbitration. Again, an arbitrator rule reinstatement, full back pay. Then there's Ted Morris, Oak Ridge, Tennessee, material clerk. Again, fired with no apparent reason. His company forced the matter to arbitration. Again, the arbitrator ruled his position back with full pay. None of this would be happening without the union. None of it. It's amazing. But that's the world we live in today. It's a world of misinformation, lies, and deceit. And who's paying the price? We are as workers. This will be a good show today. I'm looking forward. They're all good shows, but some just seem to stand out. And this has really got me going. Now a brief look into the world of labor. This segment brought to you by Boyd Watterson Asset Management. BoydWatterson.com. Boy, they're doing a great job navigating through this market. All right. The theatrical stage employees, better known as IATSE, 
and the Association of Independent Commercial Producers announced that they have concluded negotiations on a new three-year contract covering TV commercial production all around the country. Additionally, the two parties reached a neutrality agreement that could lead to voluntary recognition for non-union freelance commercial production department workers. This is a big deal. Matt Loeb is head of IATSE International. Matt said, I am pleased we were able not only to come to an agreement that provides industry stability and meaningful improvements for our members, but also provide freelance commercial production department workers a fair opportunity to decide for themselves on union representation. Matt Loeb speaking there. Meanwhile, music supervisors at Netflix have filed for a union election with the labor board. The supervisors who are seeking to be represented also by IATSE previously requested voluntary recognition from the streaming giant, which the company said no, they refused. So the union drive comes as workers. Responsibilities have expanded, they say. Conditions have deteriorated. And the pay hasn't gone anywhere. The workers are seeking to address workplace issues such as fair and equal treatment, better health care, better retirement plans, disparate pay rates between workers. The music supervisors remain an anomaly in the entertainment industry because of their general lack of labor representation. Earlier this summer, the supervisors attempted to organize industry-wide with IATSE, with 75% of them signing union authorization cards. The Alliance for Motion, Picture, and Television Producers, well, they refused to voluntarily recognize the workers' industry-wide push. So they're trying, and they've been trying for quite some time now. In Amazon news, the Amazon Labor Union has withdrawn its union election petition at the ONT8 warehouse in Moreno Valley, California. That's how they label their warehouses. The one in Staten Island that went for the union was the JFK warehouse. Well, the location filed for an election with the labor board. That was on October 12th, and six days later, on the 18th, Amazon challenged the position, the petition rather, claiming that the union misrepresented the number of workers eligible to vote and casting doubt that the union gathered the necessary 30% support to file for an election. Chris Smalls, who heads the union, told the LA Times that the withdrawal is nothing to worry about and that the union plans to resubmit an election petition in a couple of weeks. Now, that location, again, ONT8, is a very critical hub for Amazon. And labor organizers have spent years preparing for a union push at that location. The Amazon Labor Union similarly withdrew its initial union petition for the JFK 8 warehouse before resubmitting that nearly two months later. And as I indicated, that's the one where the workers went uh, 55% for the uh, the union there. And, of course, Amazon is fighting that one tooth and nail. And we got a message here from uh, the president of the AFL-CIO. You know, uh, voting is uh, right around the corner, 13 days away. And one of the big issues is retirement security, which is a big issue 
for especially older union voters. Liz points out the labor movement is centering retirement security in our election campaign. Why? Because unions fight for all workers to retire with dignity. And that's why this week, this week is Retirement Security Week for the Labor 2022 campaign. Liz goes on to say the truth is that workers' hard-earned Social Security and Medicare benefits will be at risk unless we elect worker-friendly candidates, and we cannot afford to take that risk. You know, we talked about this uh, Friday on the show with uh, Rich Fiesta on behalf of the Alliance for Retired Americans. It's really important, and that's a great website to go to, retiredamericans.org. Check that website and check out how your lawmaker in your community, whether it's a House member or a member of the Senate, and see how he or she stands on Social Security and Medicare. Good guide for you, especially if you're thinking about uh, or planning on retirement in the not-too-distant future. All right, quick break. When we come back, Pete Almini on behalf of the Heat and Frost Insulators. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferrens. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at BoydWatterson.com. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The The United United Steelworkers. The largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in In the the U.S., US, Canada, Canada, and the the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steel workers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. Now... Back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter or do both. AWF Union Podcast. AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers. Let's go to New Jersey right now. Welcome my dear friend, sponsor, love talking to this guy. He knows everything about mechanical insulation and now. He's getting into taxes. That's a scary thought. Pete Almini, how are we doing today, brother? Hey, how you doing today? <laughs> I couldn't believe when uh, you sent the form in yesterday, you wanted to get into the IRS. But this is this is good news here. This is good news. And IRS code, and I'll tell you, it drives me crazy. I, I when When tax time comes, I say, okay, my buddy Frank, Go to it. I don't know what's going on. I, I just am completely ignorant. The law changes. But obviously, 
there's something that's that was in the code for a number of years that you found, and I guess uh, I guess they're trying to bring it to the surface right now, and it's going to be good for especially the uh, building owners. You want to save on taxes, get that mechanical insulation in there, save energy costs. I mean, hey, you know what? In inflationary times, you want to save every penny, right? So, uh, Pete, talk to me about this. What's going on here? Sure. Uh, this is something that's that's interesting and um, going in uncharted waters for me, and that's getting into the into the tax tax codes and taxes. And um, it, it's the engineering students talking with the business majors and the accountant. Uh, accounting majors and on a campus usually those areas of study are opposite sides of the of the college but this is a topic where engineering and accounting really have to work together and there are some provisions for a building owner particularly commercial and industrial building owners that make improvements um to their facility to become energy efficient, more energy efficient. And there's, there's many, many aspects of that. And they, and they're all important. Um, insulation, obviously is our world, but you have the building envelope. That's the walls. That's the ceilings. That's the roof. That's roofing. Um, and there's also mechanical insulation and even mechanical insulation isn't mentioned as much as the building envelope, mm-hmm. but it does, it does require some creative financing or creative administration to make it be applicable for mechanical insulation. And one of the things that we are working on, on the LMCT, we're trying to get a lot of these tax codes to become more user friendly and for people to become aware of them more. And I say people, um, hopefully we have some uh, tax attorneys and some accountants that are listening because they can do a little research and they can really uh, help their clients, the building owners, uh, take advantage of some tax, tax credit and tax incentives that they may not be aware of. Uh, you make the analogy of your guy, Frank. Um, well, there's a lot of Franks in the world that are probably not aware of the improvements that a facility may be doing that they can take advantage of. Mm-hmm. And, and this has been on the books since January 1 of 2006, but you indicated it was kind of buried in the code. That that seems to be the problem. And, and now enter, I guess, um, Congress. They um, well, maybe you can explain that part. The Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2021. What that kind of pretty much brought it to the surface then? Sure. It actually it started it in recently with the Inflation Reduction Act. Okay. And that's something that just got passed recently. And in, and again, this is where it gets down into the weeds, but just to verify where it came from, uh, there's a section in that, in the Inflation Reduction Act, it's uh, section uh, 13.303, and it talks about the energy efficiency of buildings. And it, it is given a tax credit 
for building owners that are making investments to increase the efficiency of their building. And then it refers to um, an existing standard from the Department of Energy, and that's called 179D. And 179D is where the, the details lie on how it can be applied to a uh, tax credit uh, situation. Mm-hmm. 70, 70, 179D requires that there be a reduction of energy uh, consumption. And if you can prove you have reduced your energy consumption as little as 15%, there are some substantial tax credits that you can be taken advantage of. Nice. If you can increase your efficiency, or or should say, I should say decrease your dependency on uh, your utility use, uh, even up to 35 and 50%, you can really have a major advantage by paying less taxes. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's beneficial, and the government has set this up very well. Um, the problem is, is is getting this awareness out to the to the franks of the world and get it to the the building facility owners because obviously any type of improvement that you're doing to a building, you know, there's a cost involved, and you have to justify that cost and. You know, you have the cost of the materials. You have the cost of the labor to install it. And, you know, you want to be able to uh, uh, assume that you're going to have a return on investment. And in the insulation world, you're going to, you're going to get a very quick return and a high return on your investment. But people have to be convinced of that. Yeah. And yeah. in addition to that, you can take advantage of paying less taxes. Um, and the government wants you to take advantage of that because if you, you, if you take an advantage of this, then we're, then we're conserving fuel, we're conserving mm-hmm. energy and a, another department of the federal government that really is, uh, takes advantage of this is the, uh, environmental protection agency, the EPA, because the, the less that boiler is going on. And the less that air conditioner is going on, there's less pollutants being put into the atmosphere. So yeah. it, it helps the environment as well. I get it. I guess it's a win on, on various fronts. But, Pete, let me throw this at you. And uh, I'm sure there's a number of uh, owners of buildings, and it could be an apartment, or it could be a commercial building, and say, hey, you know what? Energy costs are going up. I'll just uh, transfer that over to the uh, the people that are renting. And uh, they're going to have to pay the cost. I'm sure that's going on as we speak. Uh, how do you address that situation or you say, oh, wait a minute, there is an incentive here now that didn't exist before? What's your response to that, Pete? Well, that's a great question. And it, it's hard to answer that because you're, you're talking about the ethics of the uh, the building owner or even, even commerce. Uh, obviously, if the building owner is able to uh, save money, you know, it's an ethical question. Is the building owner going to pass that savings on to their tenants, um, and that's that's up to that individual, right? You know, it's very similar when you, you know, I I, I don't like it when I go to a restaurant nowadays 
and I get hit with a what they call a service charge if I want to use a credit card. Uh-huh. Where before that that three percent to use your credit card was part of the do was part of doing business when you bought a meal. Mm-hmm. Now many restaurants want to be able to carve that out and say, well, if you want to pay, if you want to use your credit card, this is what you have to pay, or you you pay less for cash. You know, and and automatically the 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 commerce in corporate America are starting to. Um, want to separate that and they want to, they're going to pass that on to their, to their consumer, to their client, but they're going to make sure that they, that they know it. Now, whether a building owner is going to take advantage of this tax credit and pass it on to their uh, tenants in this case, uh, that'll be up to them. But, yeah. but one thing I want to make clear, and this is just my engineering judgment, the, the savings that someone's going to have um, by upgrading their building to make it more energy efficient, the tax savings they're going to have is going to be pale in comparison to the energy savings and the cost of the energy usage of that building. I mean, you can reduce your, your energy consumption easily by one third per one third of your total bill. That's a, that's a tremendous amount of money. Yeah. And that's, that's going to be a lot more than the, uh, than the tax savings. Yeah. If, Especially if now they, with, if they uh, do this. Yeah. With energy costs going up. Yeah. I get it. Sure. Pete sure. Almini joining us on our live line today. He comes to us from the International Association of Heat and Frost Insulators and Allied Workers Labor Management Trust website, Mechanical Insulators, LMCT.com. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about fire stopping and smoke seal inspections. Later in the show, we're going to check in with the Teamsters in Knoxville, Tennessee, fighting right to work. They want to enshrine right to work in the state constitution. And the Teamsters, among other unions, are fighting it. Back in a few minutes. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. The Heat and Frost Insulators and Allied Workers are proud to be a title sponsor for America's Workforce Radio. The Insulators Union is leading the way in the mechanical insulation industry, fire stopping, and infectious disease control. Regarded as North America's energy conservation specialist, these professionals are known for their professional work and dedication. You can learn more about the Insulators Union at insulators.org. The AFL-CIO is a proud sponsor of America's Workforce Radio. United by efforts to raise wages, listeners to this show and workers all across America are beginning to turn a corner and drive the economic debate. The AFL-CIO is comprised of 12.5 million working people, but we stand with and fight for everyone who is working for a better life. For more information about our Raising Wages agenda, go to AFLCIO.org. 
The United Auto Workers are one of the largest and most diverse unions in North America, with members in virtually every sector of the economy. Learn more about this proud sponsor of our program at UAW.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And don't forget, you can check us out on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. And when you get an opportunity, here's what you do. Just sign up, receive our shows on a regular basis, and give us a rating. We appreciate those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. Let's go back to our live line. Rejoin one of our uh, guests, great guest, Pete Almini, on behalf of the Heat and Frost Insulators, Executive Director of the Mechanical Insulators, LMCT. That's the Labor Management Trust. This man knows everything about mechanical insulation. We're going to talk about um, inspections, smoke seal inspections, but... Footnote to our first segment, we were talking previously about a very little-known tax deduction called the Commercial Buildings Energy Efficiency Tax Deduction, which uh, actually has been on the books for 16 years now. And with uh, recent legislation, including the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, it's kind of come to the surface here. And Pete, you wanted to mention there uh, there's some information that you have available especially for those that own these buildings the landlords that they should take advantage of so what would that be pete uh yes absolutely um if you just wanted to research the irs notice 2008-40 and that was developed actually in 2008 but that really gets into the tax code and it explains how the property owner or the building owner can take advantage of improvements that are done to a building to improve the energy efficiency and how it equates to be able to take advantage of the tax savings. Okay. That is IRS notice 2008-40. Look it up, and it's going to open up a whole new world for some people. Yeah, there you go. You want to save on taxes, that's what you do. And then when you put in the mechanical insulation, you save on energy costs. So let's talk about this because uh, it's important that, um, well, first of all, a lot of buildings, they may have insulation, but it may not be the proper insulation. And that's where the inspections come in. Because, uh, you know, we talked about fire stopping, smoke sealing, things of that nature. And we're coming into the winter months here where, boy, just about anything can happen. It's scary. And it is commercial, residential, you name it. You've got those uh, portable heaters and all that. We see all kind of things happening. Um, talk to me about the, the, uh, the importance of fire stop and smoke seal inspections, Pete, because this is this is a topic that has to come to the forefront so go ahead yes it, yes it does in the in the year of 2022 uh this technology has been around for many decades and it's shameful that our buildings still are not properly installed with the technology of, of stopping a fire from spreading uh, and smoke throughout a building. You know, when we talk about fire prevention, there's many different levels. There's awareness, education, there's uh, 
early detection, there is suppression, and there is containment. And all of those areas are very important. Um, the ones that the mechanical insulation industry uh, focuses in on is the containment. The containment of keeping that fire and smoke in that one room. It started, the fire started for whatever reason, you know, hopefully there are suppression systems, uh, which is a fancy term for a, uh, either a fire extinguisher, or if nobody is there to put the fire out, you have a sprinkler system. But even, even when the sprinkler system goes off, you still got to have fire and smoke. Mm-hmm. But in order for those systems to work properly, we got to contain the fire. And every building is designed with firewalls to be able to contain that fire in that building. Those firewalls get compromised when penetrations are put in those walls to run necessary piping, conduit, ductwork. You also have wall joints. And we have to make sure that those uh, compromises are sealed up. Uh, just to make sure that fire and smoke doesn't uh, emit from that one room to uh, another room. There there are many landmark cases, but but just one that I spoke about recently was uh, January of of this year. Gosh, in in three or four months, is going to be the anniversary of it. There was a, a fire on the third floor, and... 17 people died, including children, because the smoke migrated from from one apartment building on the third floor all the way up to the ninth floor. And uh, it's just just devastating to think that we have this technology at our fingertips and it's not not being properly inspected. It's not being properly installed in our buildings. And... We, the uh, international insulators in the LMCT, are working with Congress uh, to be able to pass some legislation that's going to emphasize more on the inspection process of the uh, making sure that these fire stop systems are properly installed. And it's there is no reason why uh, fire and smoke should be uh, transmitted throughout a building when there is a fire that yeah. it, 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 it should not be. This is, this is something that, that the technology is there. Yeah. You just have to utilize it. Exactly. Bottom line, insulation, mechanical insulation saves energy, fire stopping, proper fire stopping and smoke sealing saves lives. I mean, that's what this conversation is all about. It can be done. It should be done. It better be done, really. And you're right. And and the inspections for both can happen around the same time. And that's why, as mechanical insulators, we're involved in installing fire stop systems because the materials, the the technology, the application process, the timing of of when this has to be done is very related. They're related to each other, mechanical insulation of fire stop systems. We can be inspecting to making sure that the mechanical insulation is properly installed. At the same time, we're also inspecting and modifying and correcting the fire stop systems. We just got to get our building owners to be able to recognize that. You got it. Pete Almini. 
On behalf of the Heat and Frost Insulators, Mechanical Insulators, LMCT.com is a website for more information. He serves as Executive Director and also sponsor of America's Workforce. Pete, great job as usual. You take care. Stay safe. We'll talk to you in a month. Okay, brother? Thank you, Flash. You take care as well. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to check in with Wes Trottershot, president of Teamsters Local 519 in Tennessee. Back in a few minutes. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Layuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Layuna, the Laborers' International Union of North America, delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with Layuna. Find out what it takes for Layuna to keep America running at Layuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. Hi, this is Liz Schuler, president of the AFL-CIO, and I am a huge fan of Flash and America's Workforce Radio and Podcast. Hello from the Communication Workers of America, District 4. We are a labor union representing a vast array of workers in different industries, including the Association of Flight Attendants, Telecommunications, CWA Passenger Services, Public Health Care, and Education Workers, the IUE, CWA Industrial Division, the National Association of Broadcast Employees, the CWA News Guild, not to mention our growing digital sector, and many others. If you're interested in organizing your work group or learning more about what it means to be CWA strong, visit our website at www.cwad4.org. That's cwad4.org. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment... Brought to you in part by the United Labor Agency, always connecting people with employment. ULAgency.org is their website. Let's go to Knoxville, Tennessee right now and join Wes Trottershod. Wes is president of Teamsters Local 519, and he's been taking a leading role for the Teamsters in pushing no on Amendment 1. What is Amendment 1? Well, it would, if passed, enshrine right to work in the state constitution. It's bad enough we got right to work. Now they want to enshrine it in the constitution. West Trotter shot. Boy, you got to be working your tail off on this one. How are we doing today, my brother? Nay, we're doing, we're doing great in Knoxville, Tennessee. Just uh, keeping the fight on vote no on Amendment 1 and, and trying to get the message out to all the uneducated voter and, and, and make them a little bit smarter. <laughs> there you go. That's not an easy task. little background on Wes. Uh, he is a third-generation Teamster, 34 years as a Teamster, and it's primarily a lot of UPS workers in uh, in uh, 519 there? Yes, sir. A lot of, lot of UPS, a lot of uh, 
We do have the DOE, Department of Energy facility that we represent, and um, the Tennessee Valley, Valley Authority, which stretches across the state that we represent. And then we've got all our freight barns, yellow, ABS, Holland, uh, and then a variety of white paper contracts that we negotiate and represent here at Teamsters Local 519. I love your website, or what you say on your website, powered by the working class. You know what? <laughs> I mean, you nailed it on that one. I don't know who put that together, but whoever did over there, give them a pat on the back for me, okay? Yeah, yes, sir. Yes, sir. That'd be me. I'm patting myself on the back. That was, <laughs> that, that was, that was, that was a term that I come up with and designed and uh, – Really, really dig it. I, I dig it that other people across the country is is taught that phrase, powered by the working class, because it couldn't be more true. Well, hats off to you. I, I love that. You know, there's an IBEW local. I think it's in Florida. They came up with a good one. Make America Union again. How about that one? Hell <laughs> yeah. We, we, I agree with that 100%. That's what there we need you go. To, we need to continue to educate for sure. He, all right, let's zero in on this uh, this amendment here because this is scary stuff. And uh, here's the crazy part. You, as a Teamster, and you had some Republican, a lot of Republican uh, members of the Teamsters went to the GOP lawmakers before they put this on the ballot, before they were trying to put this on the ballot. And why don't you explain to me? Because it seems like uh, they were kind of dumbfounded. They didn't even know what we were talking about here. Can you talk to me about that, Wes? Yeah, 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 for sure. Is uh, We knew the amendment was being voted on, and, and we didn't like it. So, you know, being that the state of Tennessee has a supermajority with the Republican Party, but we also have a lot of members across the state that are that vote Republican. Um, I knew I wasn't getting anywhere with them. So if I went down there, they're just going to close the door in my face. So we made a plan, and that was to send Teamster members that vote Republican to meet with the GOP lawmakers. And and we, we felt like that they would have more inroads in that direction. Hey, our guys did a, did a fabulous job. I mean, they did, and, and they went to each GOP lawmaker and and. and and laid it out there for them. It was interesting to find that most of the GOP lawmakers didn't even have a clue what right to work was. They didn't. They didn't know that our members, uh, our, our non-members, that didn't have to pay dues. And one thing that they all agreed upon was that everyone that's in a union should pay their fair share. We we had that message. Did great with that message. Uh, had uh, enough. GOP members on board to to make sure that this didn't go to a amendment vote. Well, in the last hour, what happened was the NFIB, the Chamber of Commerce, comes swooping in, and then all those votes that we thought we had support on left us. Those GOP uh, legislators left us and went with uh, big business and forgot about those GOP. Teamster members that had had worked with them for several weeks, trying to educate them, make them learn, and stuff like that. So, it, at the end of the day, it, it it wasn't about the working class. It was about big business, big corporation, and and where they were bought and paid for. We'll tell you, it was a it was a good learning experience for our our Teamster members that vote Republican, uh, and and they've come out even stronger 
in support for their for their union, which I, I most certainly appreciate. So you were you were making some progress there, and then here comes uh, big business, and they pretty much uh, bought these lawmakers. That's that's exactly what they did. They they bought them off, and they said, "Okay, we're going to go ahead and put it uh, put it on uh, on the ballot here." So what will this do? You are already a right to work state. Now explain this when, when they enshrine it in the Constitution. What does that really mean, Wes? It, it, it means absolutely nothing. This thing is, is there's federal law, right to work law, and then we've been a right to work state for 75 years. And enshrining it into the Constitution means absolutely nothing. Is is these our governor and, and these politicians and these big corporations and big business and their their objective is to try to uh, uh, fight the Pro Act, which is a piece of federal legislation that's out there and, and I, I assume that they think enshrining this in the constitution is going to help them in some way so they're they're pushing it uh, pretty hard okay so if you wanted to get rid of right to work say say okay down the road all of a sudden the politics in tennessee changes and I, I know that's far-fetched but if you get the right people in there and they want to get rid of right to work because it's enshrined in the Constitution, if it passes, of course, on November 8th, then it's more difficult for that to happen? Is, is, am, I, am I saying that correctly? No, you, you, you all over it. I mean, you are absolutely all over it. It's a, it's a situation is they take it out of future legislators' hands. Once you enshrine that into the uh, Constitution, is it, it, it's there. And, okay. and, and if we... We elect labor-friendly candidates and stuff like that, and, and it, uh, these workers start having an uprising. That's going to be in the Constitution, and, and there's not going to be a whole lot that we can do about it um, other than trying to get yeah. rid of it on the ballot. But that's, that's, a, that's a lot, a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. Not only we have to get rid of the politicians, but you have to change the Constitution again. That's, that's crazy. So... Wes, what's the polling like? I'm sure there's been some uh, some polling on this issue, and and I know you're working hard, but man, you're fighting. This is an uphill battle because of all the money that's being tossed at it. But what what uh, what do you feel? We're what 13 days away. What's the mood right now? Hey, we are we're 13 days away. I'm not sure exactly where the polling is. I can tell you that in in January we were we were way behind, and uh, it was at 64. percent I can tell you that. Another poll that just come out that was at fifty-four uh, percent, and that's a that's a tremendous move. We can also tell you that it was like eighteen percent undecided. That has actually grown up. So we we really feel like that it's trending our way. It's just like you just said. There's thirteen days away, and and we we got to continue to bust our ass to get our get our membership out there and and get the get the uh, everyday worker educated on this whole process because at the end of the day this is not a a democrat republican independent issue this is a working class versus big business issue and and we got the votes there it's just whether we can educate them fast enough to get them to the poll and and vote this uh, bad bad amendment down all right Wes. another question do we need a simple majority like uh, just over 50%. And I bring this up because when you're messing with the Constitution, now this may be on a federal level, 
you need something like two-thirds of the people to uh, to vote yes on something like that in order if you want to change it. Is that the case in Tennessee? What what are we looking at on, on Amendment yeah. 1? Yeah, yeah, it's it's a little bit confusing, and uh, it's a lot of uh, the the what it boils down to, and what it's determined by is the number of votes in the governor's election. So you get an example is is in the governor's election, if there is a million people that vote, in order for the amendment to pass, they have to have. 500,000 plus one that votes. So you got to get at least half of the governor's votes in order for this amendment to go through. Boy, that's pretty convoluted. <laughs> Jeez, I can't believe that. Who came up with that formula? Yeah, I, I have no idea, but it, it, it is very, very confusing. And, and which it, a no vote, no vote at all benefits us. Uh, is obviously we want everybody to vote no, but if people don't vote at all and they don't understand it, then they don't need to vote. Is uh, if if they have no idea, hey, don't even mark the ballot. That that's good for us. Oh, that's interesting. So either vote no or don't vote on Amendment One at all. For those of you listening in Tennessee, that's 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 the best advice then. Oh yeah, you all over it. That that is the best advice. Vote no, and if you're you're not educated enough, don't vote at all, because okay. the language that they put out there, it it, it is so confusing. It, it sounds like the the best thing since sliced bread, and it it's not. You, you it's it's rat poison. <laughs> you're calling it like it should be called. You uh you wrote an op ed for I, I don't know what I I saw this in one of the papers down there. And I was online. I'm just wondering, uh, and I know you're doing everything possible. Uh, like, if you could zero in on this opinion piece that you wrote, did you get any feedback from it? I'm just wondering, well, as far as what you're doing and, and the response to what you're doing, what's happening there in Tennessee, Wes? Yeah, yeah. It is. I can tell you that as far as the media, is, we're catching all kinds of attention. I mean, this, really? this thing is growing. I mean, it, it really is growing. The op-ed is 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 running through social media. Uh, there's several other op-eds that, that that the general public, uh, non-members, and the working class have put out there, and it's it's generating a lot of interest. I could tell you that Amendment One is probably uh, generating more interest than our governor's race. So, and that's a that's a testament to uh, all the working class folks that are getting engaged and, and, and pushing to where they need to, to get this thing. So I, I couldn't be more proud of the uh, working class people in this state and, and what yeah. they're doing. Well, you're getting national attention on this. In fact, uh, there, there's an issue, and you're probably well aware of what's going on in Illinois. Now, in Illinois, it's a 180. They want to enshrine collective bargaining into their constitution, and I know the big businesses are fighting that as well, but it looks pretty good in Illinois. Completely different state, though. Completely different state than Tennessee. And, and uh, you know, when I think of Tennessee, I think back to, uh, what was it, 2014, when the UAW was trying to uh, organize at uh, Volkswagen. Volkswagen came into Chattanooga, and they wanted the union. They wanted the union, and your lawmakers down there said, no, you can't do that. I mean, come on. <laughs> 
I have to now. Thirty-four years as a teamster, Wes. I have to ask you one more. What happened to Tennessee? What happened in those thirty-four years in, in that said that you've been involved in the union? I, I don't know. It's it's it, it's been a battle. It continues to be a battle. I can tell you, the the workers' rights is a struggle every single day. They will continue to be a struggle every single day. But we we just got to continue to to change change the culture. And, and and we're doing that. It's just you got big business, big corporations. We've got the votes out there. It's just whether we can get them engaged enough and start learning their rights and get away from a lot of this uh, social media crap that that they just fall or not just social issues that they just fall prey to. And that that's that's unfortunate. But they they continue to beat us down. But the, the worker struggles are real every day. But that don't stop us from uh, popping back up and trying to hit them in the mouth a little bit more. Okay. Well, I'm going to button it up there. Teamsters509.com. Is there another website? Anybody? Is there any information, a phone number, people listening? We have a national audience. I'm sure there's a lot of people in various states that would like to help you out on this issue. Where, where do we want to drive them to, Wes? Yeah, it's, it's, it's teamsters519.com. Uh, they're, they're, they're more than welcome to email me at w trottershod at tlu519.com that's t-r-o-t-t-e-r-c-h-a-u-d we have a twitter page at teamsters519 we have just a new tiktok page but anything that y'all can do to help with the working class and and drive this message we sure would appreciate it we're in a fight but and and we're going to continue to to, to throw down with these big corporations. Well, my hat's off to you and what you're doing down there. Keep in touch with us if there's anything between now and Election Day that we need to uh, promote here on America's Workforce. Uh, right now, I'll just leave it on your uh, main website, Teamsters519.com, Teamsters519.com. And when it comes to Amendment 1, vote no or don't even vote on it at all. And hopefully it, uh, it'll come down. Wes, stay strong, brother. Keep in touch, okay? Thank you, sir. All right, that's it for another edition of America's Workforce. Tomorrow, the Government Affairs Director of the AFL-CIO, and we'll check in with the Duluth Building Trades. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.